0: probably one of the most difficult questions to answer. How can a loving God send those who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ, how can God send them to hell? You know, this is a very thorny question that I want to get real with you today. So let's get real with the whole question of the justice of God and how can a loving God send those who have never heard of Jesus How can they go to hell? And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in this week. I tell you, one of the thorny questions that has ever come across the apologist's desk or even just even a Christian at the coffee shop Whenever they're talking to a skeptic is this whole question of how can a loving God send those who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ to hell. You know, Oprah is a fan favorite going and saying that Jesus is not just the only way, but there are other ways to heaven, other ways to God. The problem is when you start dealing with the whole issue of whether or not Jesus told the truth, he says in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he said, I'm the way... truth and life and no one comes to the father but by me now in addressing this question let me say that this is often asked by non-christians and there it's asked by non-christians to well-meaning christians and it also comes in different forms you know what about those you know who have never heard those are in third world countries that have never heard the name of jesus you know what about the person who has never heard of jesus christ will he or she be condemned to hell You know, certain evangelical scholars embracing an open theistic view, that's open theistic, in other words, that God learns something. God doesn't learn anything. God knows. And, of course, you know, there's a fine line between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man when it comes to this. But I think there is a biblical answer. Now, before I answer this question, let me say right out from the onset that this response is not from a mind um, of omniscience my i am i'm not all-knowing by any sense of the word now neither i nor any other seeking any other person seeking to answer this question has all knowledge you know, and okay that's what omniscience means neither do we have all the answers to all the problems of the world now but please bear in mind allow me to say that my answer to this question will be based solely on the truth of Scripture. Now, you might be thinking, well, Rob, you know, the Scripture doesn't talk about this. Well, I will tell you this much. Uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 2, and when we look at Romans chapter 2, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break this down for you and I so that we can together look at this. And, of course, you know, we need to understand, first and foremost, we don't have the whole story with anybody. Um, we don't have the whole story about how God is going to deal with this issue entirely. But what I do know, that God has the answer, and he has given us enough information on this side that you and I can apprehend, let alone not being able to comprehend. And this is a a type of answer that uh, what I call his secret council chamber based on Deuteronomy 29 29 which we do not know. We have no information on that at all other than the fact of what we read in Deuteronomy 29 29 which says the secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever that we may observe all the words of his law. That's Deuteronomy 29 29. Now There are some things that he has shown us, and there is other information that is not fully revealed. And this is one of those questions that we do not have all the information on. But let me say this again, that there is enough information to answer this question that is based on what he has given us. Now, what I want to do is I want to approach this from five different angles. And these angles are going to go quick, so I'm not sure how long our show is going to go today. I may just stick to this question. I may dig into a little bit another tertiary issue uh, a side issue that may depending on the amount of time that I have depending on my engineers here now the first angle from which I want to approach this question is based on the justice of God now we know that God is totally just and God is the only entity in existence the reason for whose existence is within himself and therefore he does not change it if he does not change neither does his nature, and in order to be God, he must be holy, he must be righteous, he must be loving, and he must be just. God is absolutely just. If he were not, then he is not God, and there's plenty of evidence from Scripture and in the creation to indicate that we can have confidence in his character. And if this is the case, that I think you and I can trust whatever he does with those who have never heard of Jesus Christ will be fair. Now, in looking at the data concerning God's character, all of it indicates that God is just. And to say that God is not just is to challenge the absolute character of his nature. You know, whenever I talk to an atheist and they talk about wanting justice and they go and they declare their justice, and then asking them if something happened to a loved one and would they be satisfied with the act of justice of that person they always tell me no why because every person wants absolute justice and folks there's only one that's absolutely just and that is God himself let me get to the second angle here and and that and first secondly you and i are condemned by our own moral standard. This this angle uh, comes, you know, with reference to ourselves. Now, it is interesting to note that Scripture supports that a person will be condemned for violating his own moral standard, no matter how high or how low they have set it. The whole world, every person, whether or not they've heard of the Ten Commandments, uh is is in sin and and I can demonstrate this to you momentarily but Romans chapter 2 clearly tells us that every person has some kind of standard some kind and that in every culture on the face of the planet people knowingly violate the standard in which they have within them it is wrong to kill it is wrong to commit adultery. It is wrong to steal. Whenever you were to, if you were to walk up to somebody from another culture and steal their cow or their animal, they would get upset. Why would they get upset? Because they believe that it's wrong. So there's a standard of right and wrong. Now, having a knowledge of anthropology is very, very important. And anthropology is the study of man and humanity. and and anthropology confirms this but the apostle paul writes in romans chapter 2 verses 12 to 16 he said for all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law for not the hearers of the law are just before god but the doers of the law will be justified And when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, talking about the fact that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, he was buried and he rose. On the third day, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. So there you have it right there, that the law within ourselves is very, very much clear. And angle number three Angle number three tells us, and it is pretty clear, that there are no excuses. Again, Scripture indicates that every man has enough information from the creation to know, one, that God truly does exist. And this is clear from Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Why? Paul tells us that because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through that what has been made so that they're without excuse now the entire context of psalm 19 also confirms this and also when you look at matthew chapter 7 verses 7 through 11 we see Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be open. For what man is there among you when his son will ask for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a uh, a snake, will he? If then, you being evil, knowing how to give good gifts to your children, how much more <clears throat> shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And then in Jeremiah twenty-nine thirteen, we read, and you will seek me and you will search for me with all your heart. Oh, actually, let me back, back paddle here, hold, hold on, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I want to make sure I put that in there because if you seek God, but we also know the Romans says, Rome, man does not seek God, so this is an Old Testament context, so we have to be careful hermeneutically. But I think all of this said, we can conclude that if a person will respond to the light that has been given to them in the creation and they are seeking truth, God will find them, and God will give him or her a chance to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Okay? So, that's the first three angles. The fourth angle is the fact that I I mentioned when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We have that angle of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Now, there is no indication in the Bible that man can be saved apart from Jesus Christ, though many so-called scholars who will commit the appeal to pity in their defense that God will save them because God is love. While it is true that God is love, it is a misuse toward the context of the love of God. Jesus has declared in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Well, but by me. Jesus also spoke with the authority of God. Because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done on the cross at Calvary, it is obvious that there is no other way to God. Now, there are many ways to God, but the problem is if you go through all these different doors, you're going to find out that there's only one that will allow forgiveness of sin and, and and being declared righteous before God. And that is only through Jesus alone. Okay? So, He is the only one. There is no other way to God. Either He atoned for our sins or He didn't. For those of us who believe Scripture, Jesus did atone for our sins. He is also... The only bridge across the chasm, chasm that separates the highest possible human achievement from the infinitely holy standard of God. The Apostle Peter left no room for doubt in his assertion, assertion in Acts chapter twelve, Acts chapter four and verse twelve. He says, "There is no salvation, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by given among men by which we must be saved." Now. This places a heavy burden on those of us who call ourselves Christians, for we must see to it that those who have not heard, we need to see that they do hear the gospel. Now, before getting to uh, my fifth angle, you know, we, we take the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is discussed in Matthew 19, verses 16 to 30, Mark 10, 17 to 31, and Luke 18, uh, verses uh, 18 to 23. And, of course, here you have a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks a very, very interesting question, opening him up to his presuppositions. He said, why do you call me good when there's no one good but God? Now, if we leave it right there, you know, we could go and say, well, the rich young ruler was calling Jesus who? And if he knew the law, if he was the rich young ruler, he was a he was a, an under, one who understood the law of Moses. He understood that there is only one good but God. So the question then is, if he calls Jesus good, who is he calling Jesus? He's calling him God, plain and simple. So what we have to understand is that there is a standard. And again, as I mentioned earlier in our show today, there is a fine line between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. So we need to understand that as well. So we have... Number three, Scripture is pretty clear in that there's no excuses. And number four, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And then number five, we need to be sure that there will be a judgment. Finally, let me allow me to point out to anyone who might be asking this question that the Bible is absolutely clear when it comes to the fact that a judgment awaits an individual who has heard the gospel of Jesus when they stand before God the issue will not be the heathen he will have to give an account for those um, what he has personally uh, with those things that he has personally done with Jesus now usually someone will raise the question about the heathen as a smokescreen because they want to evade their personal responsibility Now, while we need to answer this question for him or her, we also need to think this question through for our own convictions and our own confidence. At the same time, as we terminate the discussion with the person, we should move it toward the issue of the person himself, with the with, and then also um, with the person himself and his responsibility before God again God will hold man responsible now what is he going to do which with Jesus Christ Well, C.S. Lewis his book the case uh, uh, the case for Christianity contains a fuller discussion of the moral law inherent in the universe now there are some objections to this and I do have time so I'm gonna get into those objections there's a couple objections that might come from those who do not understand biblical salvation and the grace of God. That objection comes in the form of, what are those who have never uh, never sinned, Adam's sin, nor ever heard of Jesus, where do they go? Now, Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, the question is is thus, is it fair to judge all people because of Adam's sin? In other words, have we inherited Adam's sin? Now, here's the thing. Here's the problem. Death came to all people because of the sin of Adam in Romans 5.12, but Romans 5.14 says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the way and the likeness of the offense of Adam who is a type of him who was to come. But if they did not sin, why are they held accountable? Now, here are two types of people who fall under this category. One of those is infants and those who do not deliberately disobey God's dictates or decrees. First, there are many Bible scholars, including myself, who believe that infants and small children who die before an age of accountability, which the scripture teach, does not teach an age of accountability, but I do believe that they will go to heaven. This is based on the following verses. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, when babe, David's baby died, he said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. This implies that the baby was with the Lord. In Psalm 139, David speaks of even an unborn baby as written in God's book in heaven, in Psalm 139, verse 16. Isaiah distinguishes those between those who are not yet old enough to, quote, know to refuse evil and to choose good, in Isaiah 7, verse 15, which implies that they are not yet morally held accountable but jesus adds here in john chapter 9 verse 14 he adds if you were blind you would have no sin and paul speaks of sacrifice making all righteous romans 5:19 which would cover even little children who are born in sin based on psalm 51 and verse 5 now, here's the second thing. We all sinned, Adam's sin, as our representative, and as a consequence of guilt, Adam's sin was imputed to all of us. But Christ's death canceled and released the human race from this judicial guilt, and that is found in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. So, even so, those who attain the age of accountability are responsible for their personal sin, therefore, are justly condemned. Those who did not sin in likeness likeness of Adam, nevertheless, still sinned in Adam, Romans 5, 12, and that is why death still reigned from the time of Adam to Moses. And as we just looked at Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, we see that it affirms that even Gentiles Even if they are not um, under the Mosaic law, they still are a law to themselves, and they have the law written on their hearts. So, their conscience bears witness to their actions. So, after uh, Adam, humans are still sinful and responsible for their actions. But just because people do not sin in the likeness of Adam does not mean they are not sinful. doesn't mean that at all. In other words, it doesn't mean that humans are not held accountable by God for their actions. Man dies because man sins. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is just in condemning sin, he is merciful in providing salvation for those who will believe in Jesus and receive that free gift so then we get to the question what about the 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 souls of babies or young children who go to heaven when they die too early now this is very very important as well because incidents uh, in the news we, we hear about um, children who, who die early. You know, we had one um, a while back where this child was dragged into the lagoon at the Disney World and sparked a great con- question uh, that my daughter even asked, which I'm sure many have asked uh, or have yet to ask, and we saw it in the media, where the two old, two-year-old child wanders from her parents into an area lagoon that contained an alligator and as we read and heard in the news back then, the events of this situation were tragic. And um, in, the, in our hearing, uh, the child lost their life. Now, what about that? You know, when that time happened, my daughter and I were discussing this and we were discussing this news piece and it sparked a question in her mind, where did that child go to heaven? You know, that's a just, absolutely just question. It's a legitimate question. Because everybody asked this. Now, obviously the death of a child or any child for that matter, is too early in our minds and in our human minds to boot because you and I are frail human beings. But let us admit, the death of any child, any age too early, let alone, folks, that is tragic. This Disney World event is truly a horrific tragedy. So I'd like what I'd like to do here, is provide what I think is a biblically based answer despite it being a difficult and yet thorny subject as we've dealt with this as well now what I want to do is I just want to as we close this I want to give two biblical observations we're coming up on that time now I think there is quite a bit of evidence both scientifically and biblically that life begins right at the point of conception Scripture is also clear that an unborn baby is known by the Lord even at the point of the time of conception. That's Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. So while the Bible does not mention abortion or aborted babies, we do have two observations to help us comprehend and apprehend the answer to this thorny question, whether souls of babies go to heaven. First, um, this is from the only passage in the Old Testament of the Bible where there is something very specific that is said about the death of infants. Again we go back to David's affair with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We know that the baby dies and we know that David says he can't come to me but I can go to him. We also uh, know this as well from what I've just shared with you. Earlier and then the second observation in dealing with this issue is from an unabridged, is from an abridged yet systematic view of Scripture that is directed toward an understanding of the character and attributes of God. We do know that a God of justice must punish sin and the Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death as I just mentioned, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Neither an unborn child, nor an infant, nor an aborted baby has the opportunity to willfully sin. However, every child conceived bears the sin nature inherited by Adam, Psalm 51 and verse 5, and is therefore subject to judgment. Now, that sounds cruel, but there's a side to this. At the same time, God reveals himself as a God of goodness and mercy. Psalm 136, verse 26, and he is gracious in all his works. Psalm 145, verse 17, and it could very well be that God in his grace applies the sacrifice of Christ to the unborn victims of abortion we know Christ's blood is sufficient for such a thing after all Jesus died for the sins of the whole world according to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 so as I wrap up the show here the Bible itself does not specifically say whether or not an unborn or young child who dies goes to heaven without a clear passage I've only made speculations and that's the only thing that we can do. We can offer only speculations. However, we do know that God's love, his goodness and his compassion. We also know David's confidence that we would see his that he would see his child again. And equally important, we do know that Jesus invited the children to come to him. Luke chapter 18 and verse 16. So friends, based on these sureties, I believe it is appropriate to conclude that God is just, God is loving, God will exercise his justice according to the secret counsels of him, his His counsels and his infinite knowledge and I also believe when it comes to the souls of children those souls of children are in the presence of God especially when their lives are cut short by a termination of a pregnancy you've been listening to the let's get real podcast with Rob Lundberg We've been dealing with a thorny issue today about what happens to those who have never heard, and what about children who haven't even had the chance to commit willful sin. If you do have any questions, please, please, please email us at realissueapologetics at yahoo.com. We would love to, as we like to say in our Thinklings group, kick these things around with you. We can do it through email or we can do it through Skype, or we can do it through some other medium on the Internet that will allow you and I to uh, work through these things together. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, interested in apologetics, please feel free to check out roblundbergapologetics.com. And then we'd also love to interact with you on that. Subscribe to our uh, newsletter. We're going to be using our MailChimp newsletter Uh, This coming September for those of you who have subscribed, who have listening, and who have been reading our our posts. We are looking to uh, launch a little bit more with our YouTube channel. You can look me up at Rob Lundberg as well. Um, And it's also Let's Get Real. You can uh, look that on. Google search that. And you can find me there. Also, you can go to the top right-hand page where I've got the links with the symbols for YouTube. It'll take you right there. But as you go out this week, uh, as you go out and you share with others, as some people will go out with masks and some people will go out with no mask, whatever the case may be, be, be all things to all people, be a person who is not allowing uh, yourself to be a stumbling block to others, but at the same time, understand that um, you, know, you need to build up your immune system and I'll just leave it right there. But as you do go out, uh, go out, listen to people's heart and mind. Don't use chapter and verse, even though we know that the gospel is quick and powerful. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And that the power of God of the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, is buried was rose and rose on the third day. The power of the gospel has the power to uh, both the Jew and the Greek, the Scythian, the slave, the free, the man, the woman, the boy, the girl. And I believe in the power of the gospel. But sometimes you can't just share the gospel immediately until you start dealing with what is creating the roadblocks to them coming to the gospel. So as you go out this week, be his ambassador. Keep the gospel in focus, but as you do, go out and give them heaven, and we'll be back with you next week. Lord bless.